Okay, Sully, uh, episode six of the Captain's Challenge. Uh, how are you going over in Western Australia there, mate? Hello, Kim. Hello, listeners. Yeah, I'm very, very good, actually, up and about. Uh, been a wonderful weekend. It was a lovely, lovely weekend, I tell you what. And obviously, the sun's shining here, mate, in WA, and I've, I've seen some lovely weather over there in the UK, but mind you, that can change very quickly. Um, yeah, mate, so we're just all cruising along, waiting, waiting for some um, developments, but as long as me and you are okay, I'm happy. Yeah, no, we've... Uh... We're really pleased with the amount of listeners we've had from week to week. We'd like to thank all those people who are continually uh, downloading our, our episodes and getting on board the Captain's Challenge. And, um, yeah, it made very pleasing. So uh, we'll see if we can continue to do a good job and, and just get you know some weekly info out there. But more it's about the people we interviewed and the, the, the stories they've mm. got to tell. And we've got another two great uh, guests today that – a bit of a mix where the, the first one is a, a uh, English player who has, has come through a, a bit of a different pathway and took him mm. you know, about eight years to, to crack the Super League here and he, he's sort of gone full circle. And uh, the other is a player or well, now a coach that's well-known both in Australia and England and uh, is um, you know a legend at his, at his initial club that he played for and has now... Uh, carving out a, a coaching career over here in England, but we'll get to those uh, very soon. The um, the talking point we will expand on after the first interview today is obviously the the uh, return of the NRL within a couple of weeks, but but some things around that and really with the the uh, problem or or the, the bit of a conundrum that it presents to the clubs with not having second tier competitions in place this year in both Queensland mm. and New South Wales and and possibly over here in England as well. So we'll expand on that greatly later. But we're going to get into the first interview pretty quickly here, Sully, and a, a player called yeah, Joe I, Bullock. Big Joe. Big Joey. Yeah. The, I'll tell you what, what a story. story. Well, it was, a, it was a great story. And, and the one big thing, just before we get on to that, Kim, yeah. anyone, anyone out there, Facebook, and who listens – Send us ideas if, if they want to hear us do something. We'll do it, won't we, mate? Um, yeah, yeah. We won't. We won't obviously do nude photos of you know um, a video of us running through the beach or something like that. But no. we will talk to. We will talk about what they want us to talk about. But back to Joe, mate. Yeah. What I found interesting about this, you said it took him a long time, and the loan system, which was it's a bit that really fascinated me, wasn't it? Yeah. So. Joe Bullock, who who started his uh, professional career with, with Wigan and was mm. un, unable at uh, his first attempt to, to crack the Super League team. So um, as you'll elaborate on, you know, went out to loan mm. on a couple of clubs, ended up signing um, at Barrow for a number of years and then uh, eight or nine years later ends up back at Wigan and gets his big opportunity in you know, he's now a 27-year-old, so he's got a great story to tell that, again, you know, reinforces those strong common characteristics of successful people, mate. Perseverance, you know, a great attitude, a good work ethic, and, you know, from, from our conversation with him, seems like a, a great bloke as well. So we'll cross over to that first interview now. So it's Joe Bullock from the Wigan Warriors.
Okay, our first guest for this episode is Wigan prop second rower, Joe Bullock. Uh, welcome aboard, Joe. How's things? Thank you very much. Yeah, how are you going up there, mate? You coping with uh, the good, lockdown? Thank you, yeah, as well as you can do. I think uh, obviously it's been some challenging times for everybody, but you know, um, we've got to get through, haven't we? Keep ourselves busy and you know, look forward to that day when we can get back training and get back playing again. Yeah, definitely. But we've, we've got you on board because you, you've got a very good story to tell. And we've, a lot of our guests have, uh, have followed some pathways that haven't taken them necessarily immediately into the top grade. And, and you're certainly one of those players you've had to show a level of perseverance and you've um, you've played for a different uh, a number of different clubs throughout your career, both on loan and through um, being contracted. But we like to start right at the beginning. So um, born in Blackpool, were you a Blackpool Panther? Um, yeah, Blackpool Scorpion I was. That's how much the team. Blackpool Panthers were the uh, professional side. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, uh, yes, I spent all my career, all my junior career playing for Blackpool Scorpions, which was, uh, you know, it was challenging in itself because Blackpool's not really a rugby town. It's a, it's a big football town. So yep. you had to, every week was a, a big away trip to Wigan or uh, St. Helens or something like that. But, you know, that's where I found my love for rugby and, you know, got playing from well, since I was nine years old. I don't believe you were a winger. Is that correct? I was, yeah. I, uh, I played, first started, I was a loose forward and then, I was a little bit too small for it as a junior, so I went into full-back and I think I kind of got into, um, as I got up the levels in representative rugby, I started playing on the wing a bit more and that's when I got my first opportunity at a um, professional club as a winger. Right. So when did the growth spurt Because <laughs> you're now a, a forward. So, uh, yeah. How big were you back in those days? Were you one of the smaller guys in the in the team uh, coming through? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was quite just tall and thin when I was a young when I was young really. So I was I was quite quick, but um, I didn't have much much meat on me really. I was just a big tall tall bean poly kind of guy, and um, yep. you know, it just kind of suited me to play on the wing. I, like, I, like I was quite good under <laughs> under high balls, and yep. you know um, I could run it back a bit quite well. So but it just kind of fit suited me at that time to play on the wing. And I think as I got a little older, and it was about nineteen when I went to Lee. I think I found. I weren't going to make it as a professional as a winger and yep. you know, I had to kind of change my plan a little bit. But uh, you know, that's the fun of it. You know, I've got to play two completely different positions and you know, I've got to experience them both, which is quite good. Yeah. So the was uh, then Lee, like, was that an academy program there? Or was that a full uh, contract you went into? What, what's your sort yeah, of pathway was... in that 17 to 20-year-old bracket? It was, um, when I was 18, I went to Wigan and played for the under-18s um, and the under-20s. And it was at the end of my contract there that they, they told me that um, I wasn't ready for first grade and I wasn't going to be taken on. So I went on loan to Lee for the remainder of the year and that was up to their first team. But I went as a winger um, and it was Paul Rowley, the coach at the time, who just pulled me aside and said, right, you've got a couple of choices. You can either um, go back to Wigan, and which obviously I had no future at the time with, or I could try a different position. So he dropped me to the reserves, which was a disappointment because I obviously went there to, to play first grade. And, and, and um, But it was kind of the making of me, really. I brought a couple of games in at reserves at that level and um, played as a forward. And then that changed me. And I came, then I got into the Flea first team and yep. ended up signing there full time. So were they championship at that point, Lee? Yeah, championship, yeah. So yep. but There's a strong history at, at 
that club as um, as well as obviously Wigan, but uh, you um, you were on loan mm. at some point down to South Wales Scorpions. Is that correct? It was, yeah. That was when um, uh, Wigan at the time had a link with South Wales, and that was my first opportunity to play professional rugby. Was going down there, and that was a, it was a similar kind of thing. The the first the under twenty side at Wigan at the time was really strong. It had a lot of first team players in it, and they kind of said. You know, like I was in and out of that team, and uh, they sent me down there with um, quite a few Wigan players at the time. But so at times we had quite a strong side. But it was a, you know, that was a really good experience. We went down to Port Talbot and stayed in the yeah. little hotel, and yeah. you know, like it was, uh, you know, yeah, like they were so, good, good times going down there playing for him. So would you just go down for the last in session of the week, like the captain's run, stay for the yeah. game, and then then back up and um, yeah, yeah, they would. They would uh, so we play on Sunday, so we'd get the train down on a Saturday and do the team run session. And then I think they'd we purposely put the session in the afternoon so we could get there and make it. And then we'd, uh, yeah, stay, put, put us up in a hotel and we'd just have the evening there. And it was a good crack, really. You know, I could, uh, got to know a lot of the first team lads who were sent down there a lot better. And yeah. also the lads down in Wales, you know, I could have a real good set of lads who I'm still friends with a few of them now. Yeah, yeah. That, who was the coach here and there at that stage? It was um, uh, oh dear, what's his name? Um, um, oh, well, my man, my man's right. gone. We'll hit him with that one in probably sixty seconds, mate. See if he's got the answer. I'm sure that I'm sure the coach will be sitting at home going, "Oh, you know, this is a massive, massive." I know, but my, my man's Kimba, Kimba. just fell up, just fell away from me. Uh, I can Kimba, pick, I can Kimba, I'm not sure where you know when. I'm not sure where you know where Joe grew up, Kimbo. I know you're an Aussie boy. You're from the, the Wollongong, the Illawarra area. Now, we're talking about Blackpool, mate. Yeah. It's like the Bondi uh, of the yes. UK. Yeah, no. It's, <laughs> it's, it is, I think. Uh, it's a great spot. Yeah, yeah. It's hard compared it, didn't he? Was it, that not the famous uh, comparison at one point? Or he preferred Blackpool to Bondi? <laughs> 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 I, don't, I haven't I been there yet. That. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been there yet, but it's on the bucket list. Yeah, well, a little bit, of, a, a little bit of. <laughs> yeah, we've just dropped out there. I do so. remember a little <laughs> bit of me got left there once. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, uh, it's I was just saying, experience. I do remember going there once many, many years ago. Yeah, the um. So we'll get back on the uh, the Lee uh, period, mate. You had a couple of years there, and. Um, yeah, during that time, uh, you also got loaned out to Barra. Is that correct? Was that 2014? Yeah, so it was um, after the... <laughs> I kind of was a, a bit of a victim of Lee's success at the time. Like, I was still trying to find myself as a player and where I wanted to be at. And Lee um, just got a brand new owner who pumped a lot yep. of money into the team and he had uh, aspirations of going to Super League and he yep. brought in a lot of uh, Super League quality players. And um, oh. Okay. It's uh, it's kind of like one disappointment after the other. The yeah. first there was, oh, we can't give you the contract you want because we're bringing these players in, but it's going to be good because we'll have a really good team. Yeah. And then as we did pre-season and got through that, it was, um, you're not going to get many games, you're going to have to go on loan, uh, which was another, was another disappointment. Mm-hmm. And I could talk it and I wanted to just play rugby at the time. I think yeah, I, was, I wanted to, that Barrow were in the championship, which was good and it was... Uh, Know, an opportunity to play at that same level and just get as much game time as I can. And so yeah. I went up to the 
I went down there with, the, with three other lads, and that was the beginning of that journey. Yeah, and then you signed with them um, for 2015, is that right? Had a few years is, yeah. signed for Barrow. Yeah. Um, and you reached 100 games there, so great, great achievement. Yeah. What's your, yeah, how, how did they go during that period? And, uh, you know, what, what's your memories of that experience? Yeah, it was a great experience. Um, it was one of the best things I did. You know, when you look back at it now, going up there, um, we, like I went, um, my, my time I was out, I was on loan. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the club. And when they you know, signed there, it was a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, we did get relegated to League One, which was a bit of a thing of me not wanting to go back there. But um, the the coach, Paul Crary, rang me up and sold the club to me again and told yeah. me the direction I wanted to go. And they offered me a job working in the schools, in the community, which yeah. was another opportunity, which was, was uh, you know, stay full-time in the game at a low level. So um, you know, I ended up moving up there and, you know, kind of committed my whole life to it, which... Yeah, uh, you know, it was a it was a great move in the end because you know it led to a lot of great experiences and um, a lot of great success with that club as well. Yeah, another club with a lot of history and uh, yeah, unfortunately they they went back down again this year, but they, they had a very strong squad put together this year, and I you know I thought they had a very good chance of getting back up. Um, I, yeah, again, this forest has thrown. A spanner into the works, but uh, it's obviously a lot mm. of pride in that club, and um, you know, as I said, a lot of history, and it seems very determined bunch to get them back up to at least um, championship in the near future. But um, for your part, it's obviously good for your footy there because you you've ended up in sort of going full circle and getting back to Wigan in two thousand and nineteen. So how did that come about? Did you get a phone call off someone? Do you have an agent, or how did that opportunity arise? Yeah, a little bit of both. I think um, like uh, the best thing about going there was that I was able to just be myself and be my own cat. You know, like, t- test the kind of player I wanted to be. There was no real mm. pressure on me, especially when we were in League One and we built up. And um, is the back end of the League One season when we got promoted. Um, There's a bit of talk about a couple of Super League clubs looking at me. Uh, I had an agent at the time. I still have my agent Ian, and we had a bit of discussion. And he just said, "I think it would be better for me to play a year in the Championship because League One to Super League would obviously be such a big jump." Um, which I agreed with, and I ended up playing that Championship year and uh, started off really well again. And um, I just had a lot, you know, Wigan got in touch again, and uh, Warrington got in touch as well. And you know, he just had a lot of options, and I had a few options on the table to to go with it. And you know, it was a, obviously an exciting time for that because uh, you know that's that's where I was aiming to be and what I was hoping to go and get back into. Yeah, what 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 made your final decision in Wigan over Warrington was it the, the past links there and they gave you sort of that initial opportunity or is it something else that, that really um, um, attracted yeah, you? Yeah, a little bit. I think uh, like I knew Matty Pete was. A coach of the juniors were the under twenties and the youth had a youth when I was there the first time and he was um set involved with the first team set up. He came to meet me with uh, Chris Redlinski and had a good chat with him and I think uh, my partner's from Wigan as well, so I think mm. uh, where we were gonna live and move from back back down from Arrow into uh into Lancashire, you know, that was an, an option and yeah. Uh, yeah, I just think it was you know, Wigan's a great club and they've got a lot of history and I've been there before and I knew a lot of the lads and players who played within the juniors and who'd stepped up into first grade. So it was, uh, you know, I just felt that was an opportunity there that 
you know, I think I've settled into it a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, can I yes. just ask both you both? Can I just ask both you and Joe a question? Yeah. And it's it's fascinating because us in Australia don't know about this loan system, mm. and obviously Joe's the first bike that I've spoken to, and gee whiz, it's really really worked for you, hasn't it, mate? And and the way that it gave the opportunity to play good level of footy. And, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Can you explain a bit more about it? Well, both of you both know all about it, but I love the loan system. Yeah, Joe. Joe, do you want to go? Yeah, uh, I think as a, as, from a player's perspective, I think it just gives you the opportunity to play like that first-grade level. And I'm not sure too much how it works in Australia, but um, yeah, we have the three professional levels and... You know, outside of Super League, you know, there's every the clubs and the fan bases. You know, like a, they're very proud and they're very uh, passionate about them clubs, and you kind of feel that you have that that first grade feel still of playing a game. So um, instead of playing a reserve game level, you know, reserve match where you've probably not got many fans, you know, you're playing in front of a big crowd and you're getting that you know that big game feeling about it. So I think it's um, it's a great opportunity to play. You know, first game rugby, first grade rugby, and um, you know, getting that match experience that you need, yeah. you know, especially if you're going to be getting it at the club that you're at. It also prevents, it gives you an opportunity. Like when I went and ended up signing for Barrow, you know, um, to get them connections with other clubs and coaches, and gives you options on the back yeah. of that. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. It, it, we don't have that system as yeah, it's such wonderful. In, wonderful. in Australia, but um, effectively, mm. it's basically a dual registration, I guess. Where you know, you're out on loan, but you're your, uh, what would you call it, your primary club that you were contracted to initially has the option to call you back in at any time. So if they got a heap of injuries and neither did it to come back, then, you know, they have the option of doing that. We, The closest thing we have in Australia is the sort of the feeder club system from New South Wales or Queensland Cup into an NRL club. So, you know, when I coached at Mackay, um, cutters. Yep. We were feeding yep. club to the Cowboys. Those players would come back um, on a weekly basis. So that that's very similar. Um, and um, mm. yeah, it's definitely mm. got its benefits for, for all parties involved. You know, as Joe said, it gave him an opportunity to play at a good level. Um, you know, Barrow were benefiting from, from him being there. We were benefiting from their players getting game time and still having the option to call them back if needed. So, yeah, it's quite a good system here and it's been in the, you know, in the football, in the soccer here um, for, forever, that sort of system. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, I think it works. I, I, I'd like it. It's just you know, the main oh. benefit for the game is that players get an opportunity to play and rather than sitting on a sideline if you're out of the top 17 for any one week, then... Yeah, you know, you've got an opportunity to play somewhere, so that that's important. But uh, um, yeah, on, on the beginning, so it's, de- it's definitely yeah, helped so, Joe. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely mm. helped Joe, hasn't it? It's brilliant, you know. And twenty-seven years old now, and as you say, he's he's, he's at Wigan and a front rower. So um, as I say, front rowers get better as they get older. Yeah. Twenty-three games last year, so you've you've um, played just about every game, and you you were starting um, again this year before the the coronavirus. So, yeah, what, what's your goals? What how long are you contracted there for? Um, yeah, what, let's just talk. Say next eighteen months. Have you got any 
definite goals in that time period? Um, yeah, my big goal is I'm, I feel like I'm still learning and still, you know, learning the game definitely. And um, you know, I was over the moon with how many appearances I got to make last year, and I, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting to kind of get, you know, just a chance here and there, and to uh, to get thrown in like that was was great for me. And I've got a, another year on my contract, so going into next year, so. Um, you know, I just want to continue to improve and get better and by the end of that hopefully get a, a better deal and set myself yeah. up you know, well for the future and you know, it's not just about playing rugby as well it's also about you know, do, you know, setting yourself up in your career and your life and you know, I want to make sure I can get the most out of every opportunity in rugby and that's you know, coming from yeah. the playing side of it and the uh, financial side of it as well. Yeah, well, you've done the hard yards, right? so yeah, hope, uh, mm. everything you want comes your way. Have, have you got any other heritage? Are you eligible for any other nations? Or no, just England, I think. Which yep. uh, yeah, which it's it's a good thing. Obviously, I'd love to play for England. That's my country, my pride. You know, it's a bit it's frustrating when you see you know players of different levels of you know being able to go to World Cups and stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but uh, you know that's just the way it falls, isn't it? You know, you can't change yeah. where you live. Um, if I'm good enough and you know I can, I have aspirations to play for for England, I've just got to keep working hard. And you know, the, I think it'll be um, an even greater achievement if I can end up doing that because it'll be, it'll be a, such a high level, won't it? To yeah. Play there. Yeah, definitely. Well, but you've yeah, you're in the system there at Wigan that obviously will give you every opportunity to in, improve as a player. So um, we wish you the best. But um, we've got the high pressure component. Uh, ready to go. Sally, 60 seconds. Sally, you there? Oh, we lost him for oh. a second. Back. Oh. Yes, I certainly am. I certainly am. I'm, I'm going through. Oh, no, no, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. 60 right. seconds with Sally. Can't wait. Joey Bullock, he's going to... Don't get too scared. He's looking tentative. No, no. Question one. Your favourite holiday spot? Um, um, Spain. Nice. Favourite other sport? Favourite other sport? I'll go with um, cricket. Oh, nice. Oh, I like me cricket. Good boy. I like that. That's good, man. Good man. What can't you live without? Can't I live without my dog? <laughs> oh, very, very good. Question four. The greatest influence on your life? Um, I'll go with my dad. He's been a great influence on me and um, helped me helped me through with a lot of things. Good man, good man. Favourite food? Um, spaghetti bolognese. Yeah. Nice, that was my one too, mate. <laughs> Everyone loves a bit of smag. Wow, that is. Yeah. <laughs> your favourite, your favourite non- NRL, well, okay, I'll say Super League for you guys. Your favourite non-Super League or NRL Rugby League competition and a team from that comp? Um, Liverpool Football Club, Premier League. Oh, Scouser. I'm there with you, mate. Can, yeah. can, can we, can we, can I just... Can they just give us the premiership? Stop carrying on, don't they? That far in front. Let us get it. <laughs> last oh, question. If you're down to your last 50 quid, how would you spend it? Um, I'd, um, I'd buy 
buy a steak dinner and enjoy my last, and enjoy my last dinner in, in, in privilege. <laughs> Not at all, mate. It costs about $50 a year. Thanks for spending 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, not cheap, Avery. But just on one of those, you, you said your dad was the biggest influence. Was he a player as well? He wasn't a player, no. He was. He played football, my dad, when he was younger. He was yeah. uh, he just it comes back to the, the thing in Blackpool with, you know, being a, a rugby town. There was no team for me when I was younger and... Um, he tried to get me involved in football, but I was very good, and I think that was his that was his great shame that I wasn't a football player. But um, he helped set up the rugby team that I ended up joining, and you know, oh, was no. part of that. And, yeah. Um, when I got selected into like Lancashire teams and England teams as a junior, he tra- drove me around all around the country. You know, um, so he sacrificed a lot, and he's been it's kind of his journey as well as my own journey. Yeah. You know, right. like, to get to where we are. So mm. it's nice to share that success with him and. Yeah, um, no, he's he's always going to be there and pushing yeah. me to the next level. Yeah, brilliant, but great stuff. Look, uh, we, mm. yeah, we appreciate your time, mate, and it's uh, yeah, you've got a great story there. And we we always um, we really try try to appeal to the the younger players coming through and make them aware of you know the sacrifices and the journey that's involved in making it to the top, and it's. Not always just, you know, you come out of academy and you, you make the big time straight away. And mm. um, But if you persevere, um, that there's opportunities that present themselves. And, you know, I guess it's, you know, 10 years after, or sorry, eight eight years after you first started down at Wigan, you, you're back there and mm. you, you're playing some great footy and, and you've, um, you know, you've earned a spot and, and you, you've uh, proven that, you know, this is a level that, that you're definitely at. So it's been, been a pleasure talking to you. I hope, as I've said, our young listeners can take something from that as well. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. It's been a, it's been a great morning. Excellent, mate. afternoon, evening, yeah. closing Australia. <laughs> there. Well, thanks, Sally. We'll, we'll say goodbye to Joe and um, uh, we'll just wrap that up. So, thanks again, Joe. Okay, yeah, great interview there with, with uh, Joe. Sally, Interesting character and uh, one of the really interesting things, starting out as a winger and then when he comes back for his uh, second crack at the big time with Wigan, he's now a prop forward and, and making his way in the game as, as a very good prop forward as well. Uh, don't hear that story too many times. No, you don't, but it was an enlightening interview, as you say, and it's um, it's probably a, a lot of the listeners probably don't know the name Jay Bullock, but I'll tell you what, it. I think, what did we say, 27, yep. 28 years old, yep. front rower, uh, who's looking forward to bigger things, I think. Um, yeah, and we, I know for a fact we've got a lot of Wigan supporters here in WA and yep. I think Dale Christie leads that fan club, Kim. Yes, he would do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely does. But, yeah, no, mate, um, as I said, I, I really enjoyed him explaining about that loan system that I spoke about before the interview and yep. um, some interesting things. So, no. What a lovely fella. Spoke well. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I do, I, I do a bit of the um, analysis over here for the Giants, for the uh, analysis of the opposition players from, from week to week. Mm-hmm. And um, it's uh, so I had um, uh, done that actual analysis on Joe uh, a number of weeks ago before Huddersfield Giants played them. And uh, he's a quality player, mate. He's a, he's a danger. You know, an attack. He's he's very mobile, and he obviously mm. goes back to his time as an outside back. 
Um, so he, you know, he sometimes plays a bit wider at the ruck and uh, yeah, very mobile there. Got a little bit of late footwork on him. So um, it, it's interesting, you know, and, I, and it's a reason as for coaches when you're coaching young players, um, not to pigeonhole them too early in their career. And you know, I, I really saw that coming through. That you know, some teams we played coming through as juniors, the biggest players in the opposition team at you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years of age, um, you know, but they're, they're prop forwards and just who we thought were giants. But then they didn't grow. And then by the time they're 16, 17 or 18, um, they're then not big enough to be forwards and to continue in the game, you know, that there might be an outside back. And uh, the unfortunate thing is, you know, they were told at 11 or 12 they were going to be prop forwards. So they weren't taught to pass weren't taught to step, you know, weren't, weren't taught many evasion skills. It was all about being a prop forward for the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. then other players catch up, get that growth spurt, overtake them. And, you know, the fan, they haven't got the skill set to play any other position and they get lost in the game. And I, I saw that happen quite a lot. The reverse is that, you know, if you get to experience a number of positions and, you uh, yeah, it gives you a larger skill set than you can then take into your, your future career. And, um, you know, we see halves who, who turn into, who have a growth spurt and turn into ball-playing front rowers and it helps their game, you know. And, um, and Joe's in a, probably an instance there. He, he was a winger. He's very mobile. He's got some footwork. And I think that has really helped his game now as a forward. Well, mate, I can tell you one thing I do is, you know, I'm a, a junior coach and yep. I do like mixing them up. Put the yep. second rowers out in the centres, give the front rowers out in the centre, just let them get used to that different type of football because um, you can't pigeonhole kids at 13, 14. Coaches who do that need an uppercut. So yep. you just don't do it. Simple yeah. as. Yeah, they're development age groups and that, that's what the coaches should be about in those age groups, giving every player every opportunity um, in any position, you know, he, he uh, wants to have a go in and helping him grow as a player. And you know, many in mod leagues certainly do that. When you and I grew up, we didn't have many in mod league and uh, you always played 13 aside and, you know, you were put in a position at seven years old that you may still be playing then at 13 or 14. Uh, and then 16, 18. But, you know, many a mod league allows coaches now just to put players on the field, mix them around from week to week, give them a go in dummy half one week, give them a go at pivot the next week, give them a go out on an edge the following week, and that's how you develop skills. So, yeah, I, I think... Yeah. Tell me about that, Kim. I, I, as you know, I'm, you know, I'm coaching the 15 side now, but I've yep. started with the 11s and the 12s. And I remember when the 12s first... Uh, first came into the competition grades, the use of the bibs, the DH, which is the dummy half, listeners, dummy half, and the FR first receiver. Yeah. Because years years ago you used to put the little kid at hooker and just teach him to pass and he'd never do anything else. But now with the dummy half being able to look up and scoop and not lose possession, that is the best. And it's the same with the first receiver because they can look up and they can know when they go. They know if they go before the ball hasn't been passed twice. And yep. I'll tell you what, if you use it properly sometimes as well, you give your big front rower the first receiver, you know, you give him the bid and you give the back rowers the opportunity to use it. 
because it teaches them, as you just said before, what you're talking about, teaches them how to play with the ball. So, no, that's the best thing they ever did in the game, in my opinion, in junior footy. Yeah, but it was a great thing because we were taking away the opportunity of our two main ball players and decision makers in your dummy half and your first receiver to play what's in front of them. It was a two-pass rule, just uh, pass, catch, pass, um, and that's what the game became for for too long at a, a mini and mod league level. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a great introduction to the game. As long as it's not used the wrong way by coaches by putting their biggest player at first receiver all game, every game, and just using him as a, a runner. I mean, I have seen coaches, unfortunately, take that um, approach to it. It's about developing our main decision makers and ball players in, in the game. And uh, oh. yeah, it, it's, it's a good system. It's about... De- it's about developing their ball skills. Yeah. And yeah. The Looking big one up, for me, yeah. mate, all jokes aside, the big one for me is the dummy half. Yeah. Because what you what you give a kid now, the option, yeah. if he looks up, and I use this all the time when I'm coaching, yeah. if he looks up and sees numbers, yeah. in the in the that means he goes himself. He can scoop. Yeah. Right? Because he's looked up, he's got blokes offside. Yeah. Best things ever happened. Happens yeah. for two years. Yeah. And and, mate, the development of these dummy halves, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, mate. Yeah, it's a great thing. Um, all right, moving on. We're um, probably a main topic of conversation today. You know, we're, we're a couple of weeks away from the NRL kicking back in, and at the moment there's no word on when or no definite dates on when community competitions may start up, but the decision that has been made is the second tier competitions are gone for the year in both Queensland and New South Wales. Um, over here in England, um, we don't have an exact start date for the Super League, but getting more and more confident that it will be up and running. Um, but again, there's no word yet on the lower divisions, the, the championship and the league one or community rugby league. So it, there's been there's a few things that... Um, uh, attached to that that I'd like to talk about. First of all, let, let's talk about community clubs. And I want to in particular refer to it, I think, an outstanding open letter that was written by uh, Gareth Davies, who is the Welsh mm. Rugby Union chairman over here. And although it's a, a different sport, what he's talking about relates a lot to the lower levels oh. of the game in, in both Australia and mm. England. And the amount of money that gets um, gets paid to players at, at these lower community levels. And in Australia, mm. you know, having mm. come through the grades in, in bush uh, footy, um, I've seen clubs fall by the wayside because of they can't cope with the amount of player payments in particular. And mm. the, the cycle starts with one club who does a great job and, um, you know, of getting sponsorship and getting money into the club. And they they offer players big money to, you know, win a premiership. And, and it sets a standard then that other clubs then need to try and match those um, payments being offered to try and stay competitive. And it becomes a vicious cycle where clubs start to pay more money to get better quality players and, you know, some clubs then can't cope with that and they fold. And how many times we've seen that in bush competitions all across Australia. They fold because they can't pay the players, so they don't get the players on board to, to form a team. And 
in a lot of the cases, you know, it's a strong survive and the weak fall by the wayside. But um, you can't sustain a competition like that. And we've seen that happen all over Australia. Now, the same thing has happened in, in rugby union um, since it became professional and lower level clubs started paying players. And, um, um, you know, that happened from memory. I can't remember when they went professional and stopped being amateur rugby union, but it was probably early to mid-90s. So, so, you know, Wales Rugby Union, I, I know from trying to get players from rugby union to play rugby league in my 12 months at the, the West Wales Raiders, and some of the figures these rugby union players were, were telling me they were getting paid to play fourth <laughs> and fifth division rugby union, basically just roll up on the weekend pull on the boots and have a run. And we couldn't couldn't come even close to matching that, you know, to play at the third level of, third third tier of rugby league, the highest yeah. level of rugby league in Wales that was available, you know, through yeah. the semi professional yeah. club. Now maybe this this COVID nineteen um, you know, break in the competition in force break is a time for clubs to relook at what we do and to get back to encouraging players to play for the love of the game. And maybe it's a chance for the players to rethink why they actually play and not be asking for big money all the time. And uh, if you'll mm. indulge me, Sully, I'd like to read the last two paragraphs of of uh, Mr Davies' open letter. This He's a lovely great. man too. I met Gareth Davis oh, nice, many, yeah. many years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what he's um, talking about yeah, here is exactly that. He's basically pleading to clubs and players to rethink why they play the game. Yep. Uh, but please, dear clubs, I implore you, let us start again with the right structure. If no club offers payment, then there will be no market for player wages and no club will feel the need. If no club breaks ranks and we all play for enjoyment for our town or village of birth, for the club with whom we hold the strongest affinity, with our friends and neighbours, our extended families and our children, then no club will suffer the same threat of oblivion that is currently being felt in some quarters if a similar crisis were to strike again. Don't pay players. Play in the league you are in. Strive to beat the opposition you face. Dream of lifting the trophies available at your current standard and attract the players who are drawn to your club. Use the money you save on attracting, developing and engaging players for the future or on ensuring your club remains the central hub of your community that it has always been. Be sustainable and help safeguard the future for us all. Pretty mm. pretty strong statements there and, you know, some players aren't going to like listening to that at all. And, you know, of course there's arguments for players to be paid in, in a brutal sport where there's chance of injury and, you know, you might miss work and, and so on. I, I get that, but, you know, the numbers in rugby league, in bush rugby league, especially into senior footy, have been on a drop-off rate for a long, long time now. And the league has tried a lot of ways, you know, in employing development officers all over Australia um, to try and try and stop that decline and turn it into an increase, but it hasn't worked. And I I think this is part of the reason that players just want to play for money and clubs then can't sustain that. And then all of a sudden there's no longer a club for people to play for in their local district. 
So they go and do something else. And they may mm. not even play sport at all anymore. So mm. there's some examples. Like there, there's a club in Group 7 where I grew up, the home of Mick Crone and Gerringong Lions, who yep. have over the last 20 years been one of the, if not the most successful club in that competition in terms of winning premierships and being eternally um, competitive in that competition. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit out of touch with that comp over the last four or five years, but I know up until I'd last asked the question, they didn't pay their players. Where Every other team in that competition had been playing, paying players for a long, long time. You know, I, I came through that competition 25, 30 years ago, and we were certainly getting paid then, and they'd been getting paid for a long time before I hit first grade. Jeringong have managed to do it without paying their players. Now, from what I understand, they they play for nothing. You know, their insurance and red dough gets looked after and and they're well looked after off the field and there's just a good club culture there. People want to go to that club and play for it, but they're not getting match payments as such. So, So it can work if done in the right way. The other thing, when I look back at my time as a player, I talk about, you know, the premierships one and the friendships I made and some of the great mm. games you played in and, you know, maybe some of the comebacks or, you know, it might have been, a, you know, some memorable clashes with your most hated opponents. I don't think I ever talk about the contracts I signed. Mine would never mm. be. There's <laughs> probably nothing to brag about anyway. But the point I'm making is the memories aren't, the money, the, the memories of why you went there in the first place and the great clubs uh, you played with, they're, they're the longest memories and they're, they're the things I want to talk about over a beer and they're the people I want to catch up with. So mm. is this a little bit of a catalyst to getting back to why we actually played the game in the first place and not going yeah. to chase chase the dollar? And, and can clubs structure their clubs now built more on, club culture and being the community hub and being a place people want to be around because this is a time where people are missing people and they're starting Mm. to realise how important some of the other aspects in their life really are and not just being about making money. It's about making friends and doing things you you really like to do. And for me, rugby league has always been the thing I like to do the most. So, uh, exactly. exactly. What, what's your thoughts? Like, could, I, did, you know, just quickly, you, you just quickly, you you asked me. You, you just said you weren't sure what Jerry Gong had done. Yes. Okay. They were premiers two thousand. This is the last ten years. Yep. They were premiers two ten. Got beaten in the grand final two eleven. Got beaten in the grand final two twelve. Yep. Premiers two thirteen. Yep. Premiers two fifteen. Premiers yep. two sixteen. Yeah. They haven't featured the last couple. Is it? Jamboree won in yep. 217, Shell Harbour in 218 and Kaiema. But yep. they were thereabouts, as you said. Mate, yep. it, it's an interesting point you make. And um, obviously, I know for a fact, WA, that they're not getting much money. The boys that play over here in our competition, yep. there's not a lot of money about. But in saying that, you know, we're hearing numbers in West. I'll use Western Australia as a point of view. Yep. We're allowed 100 people, like 100 people, at one time, but yep. please, you, you can't play rugby league. You can't play any sport if you're only allowed 100 at the ground. Well, okay, two teams. For example, I'll use, you know, you've got women's league tag, you've got three, you've got four grades. Yep. 
well, there's there's 40, 45 people for one grade each. You know, yes, you're, yes. you're going to have to move people off. You know, imagine junior right. football Sunday morning. Mate, yes. there's 100, 120 people watching the, the under sixes and the sevens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so until, being, yeah. yeah two, two clubs are playing each other and you've got first grade, reserve grade, women's, um, you know, oh. league tag might be under 18. So just in number of players and staff, you, you've already exceeded the, the 100 people. So, yeah, yeah it's yeah. going to be very hard to police you. You're going to have to have bigger gaps between the games so people can leave the ground before the next teams uh, can come in. Um, That's right. Uh, yeah. But back to your plus, point, yeah. back to your point yeah. about the money sort of scenario, and you, you, you mentioned the word injury and, yeah. like, seriously, if someone got injured, what they get playing football is not going to cover. Well, you know, that's why you've got insurances. That's why you take your own medical insurances out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting times, mate. And I, I think I totally agree with what Gareth Davis said. It's just yeah. let's go back to doing why we do it. Like, yeah. gee yeah. whiz. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Could be a line in the sand moment where um, people start to think differently about, uh, you know, why are we here? Why are we doing things? It should be for enjoyment, not just sport. I'm talking yeah. about life 100%. in general. And uh, if you happen to have made some money off it in the past, you'll see that as a bonus. And, you know, of course, the elite levels where it's a full-time job, it, yeah, of course, we're not referring to that. But, you know, they're all taking pay cuts. So, um, yeah, it might just be, uh, like I say, catalyst for things to change at the lower levels and, Maybe it's a good thing. Uh, the the yeah. other interesting point, mate, now referring to the, the higher levels of the game is how clubs are going to cope you now with the NRL back on in a couple of weeks. They don't have anywhere to place their players outside of their top 17 from each week. So, you know, there's no Canterbury mm. Cup, the, the second tier in New South Wales. There's no Interest Super Cup, the second tier in Queensland. Um, That's right. So you've got your squad of 30 to 34 players, um, whatever it is at the moment. Um, 17 are playing each week. You've probably got your 18th man. You might have a couple injured. There are your other 10 Mm. players going to maintain some fitness from week to week. There's not even lower community level competitions back on at the moment, so they can't even place them in in a lower competition. Now, somebody like Newcastle, who... Used to place their their players when they didn't have reserve grade. They they used the local Newcastle competition as a as the point to to put their their bottom half of their squad from week to week who weren't selected in top seventeen. And Newcastle is you know one of if not the best uh, bush competitions in New South Wales, if not the whole of Australia. So mm. um, it, it's a pretty good level of footy, but. And that competition isn't up and running. Um, so there's just no avenue there for players to maintain match fitness. It's going to be very interesting, again, how the, the coaching staff and the strength and conditioning staff approach this and how do they keep those players fit? Do we look at some sort of hybrid competition where it's just some friendlies every now and then where you can get those guys a game? But, you know, if you haven't got a full squad of 17, Outside of your top 17, how do you do that? You know, are clubs going to look at each other and say, um, you know, let's field a team together 
just throws his yeah. names up. Let's say, you know, the Parramatta and West Tigers or Parramatta and Penrith get together and say, well, you know, in three weeks, let's put a combined team to play against a combined Canterbury and West Tigers um, squad. But will they be allowed? That's yeah, the, yeah, that's all these new, that's what I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, it's interesting times. I, I will find out during the week how many um, players are actually training in those top squads. Um, I will find out. I'll, I'll give a contact, couple of contacts a ring and just see. Um, yeah. At the moment, as you say, uh, 17 players normally. Uh, are they training 30? Um, yeah. I will find out. You'd think so. You, you, they'd have to have their top squad and their development uh, players. I think they wouldn't they allow four development spots. So that's that's thirty-four. You, you'd want them all training because you've got to got to get through the season. If you don't want to be calling someone up who hasn't been training, if you get a couple of injuries in the same position, and yep. you haven't got that covered within your your top twenty-five, even so, I'm, I'm sure they're going to have their whole top squads training. Are are they also calling in some of their part-time contracted players or you know their feeder club players? To then get it up to a, a bigger amount, where yeah, you, you you know you then might have enough to field a second team in some sort of friendly setup. So, so say North Queensland Cowboys, do they call in some of the Townsville Blackhawks, who are their nearest mm. feeder club, to increase their squad up to forty or forty-five, so they then have enough to field a second squad to play a couple of friendly games, you know, every four yeah. or something, to maintain yeah. match fitness. So. Maybe that's – but then you've got all the questions on insurance and um, yeah, whether and, – and staffing and whether the NRL would even allow that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you're getting we, this we dangerous – We might have to chat to an old mate of yours from the Cowboys. He, he, he'll tell us. He'll yeah. tell us. Maybe we surely get on to some people during the week and find that out. So, uh, oh, I, think, I think Michael Morgan would love to come on and tell us. I'd, I'd love to get Morgs on. <laughs> I'll tell you what I well, do. <laughs> there you go. I'll give you one job for the week, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll see how I go. Um, but that, that'll take us into our second interview and um, a, a great interview I, I mentioned earlier. A, a um, legend at his, at his initial club at Canberra Raiders uh, as a player, 230-something mm. games there, 234. Then on to the Dragons where he had 28 games before... Um, before going down the coaching pathway and there were some gaps in between. But uh, Simon Wolford, we we're, were talking of, of course, a current head coach here at the Huddersfield Giants. And, uh, yeah, got a great story to tell, mate, from his days as a young um, a young player in young <laughs> with the with the cherry pickers. Yeah. They are, aren't they? That's young right. cherry pickers. The cherry pickers. Yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. it, mate, the young cherry pickers. Group yep. nine and what a fascinating story. Okay, our second guest for today is the current Huddersfield Giants coach, Simon Wolford and Canberra legend. Um, we'd like to welcome him aboard. How are you going, mate? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. No worries. I'll tell you what, Kimbo, you're in a bit of trouble here because you've got two Riverina blokes. Yeah. So yes. when the two Riverina boys get together, anything can happen. How are yeah. you, Simon? <laughs> good, mate. How are you? Good, good. You, um. You, you have met, met each other before, and Sully, you've been a, um, a Leeton boy, and uh, Simon from Young. We, we, 
we might start there, Simon, and um, go back to your days at Young and just get a uh, an outline of your pathway that eventually took you to Canberra and what age you were when you went there, but, but even before that, how you came through the junior grades and finally on, on to Canberra. Yeah, look, I, I was a, a normal country kid. You know, in the winter you played rugby league and, and in the summer you played cricket and um, that's all we did growing up. And, um, you know, obviously um, as I got into my teens, um, you know, rugby league became a bit of a focus for me. Um, you know, it was obviously a sport. I um, really enjoyed to play and, you know, I had some aspirations in my teens to, to one one day be an NRL player and, um, you know, I guess I was one of those kids that lived and breathed footy, you know, I'd play on a Saturday, I'd go home and back in those days I'd watch the State Bank big game on a Saturday afternoon and, you know, I lived and, I literally lived and breathed footy. I, any footy that was on the TV, I watched it and, you know, I loved training and just loved everything about rugby league really and I guess... Once I got to 15, 16, 17 years old and I started to make some proper rep teams, um, you know, things, you know, um, got a little bit serious for me. You know, I started to realise that maybe, you know, having a crack, you know, in the Winfield Cup back at the, that, that, that's what it was at the time. You know, it was something I really wanted to do. And um, 90, 1992, I think it was, I, I made quite a few, you know, I made the New South Wales under 17s, I made the Australian under 19 reps um, merit team in, in, in 1992. And, we had a bloke by the name of Mark Lowry who um, who played um, mostly reserve grade back at the Canberra Raiders. He he come out to Young in 1992 to coach um, the first grade team, and um, you know I played you know I only played a couple of games um, in the 16s that year, and uh, sorry a couple of games in the 18s, and um, and Mark pulled me into first grade for the rest of the year. Um, so I was 17 years old, and I had the whole year. I had the, I played the whole year in uh, first grade. We didn't make the semis. Um, I went back you know, and qualified for our under-18s team in the same year, the 1992. We ended up winning the comp there. And Mark ended up going back to um, Canberra to finish off his career back at the Raiders. And I had, I had four or five clubs, you know, keen to sign me um, at the end of 92. But obviously Canberra was an hour and a half away. It was close to home. Mm. Um, you know, obviously Tim Sheens was there. They had a lot of internationals, you know, Ricky and Laurie. I was a halfback at the time, so... You know, going to, to a club that had Ricky and Laurie as their house was obviously um, something I, I, you know, was a real, <laughs> it was an easy decision for me, really. So I I, I, um, I made the decision to go to the Raiders and, um, you know, I stayed mm. there for 14 years. So, mm. um, you know, I, I had one year in the under-21s under Craig Bellamy and as a half, that was, you know, it was a tough year. Um, you know, I pretty, you know, Looking back, I, I went to Canberra as a 17-year-old that thought I knew everything. And, um, you know, <laughs> having Craig as my coach was a good thing. He, he soon knocked that out of me and put me back into line and made me realise I had a lot to learn and I was young and, um, yeah. you know, it could be over as quick as it began for me. So, you know, he dropped me a couple of times that year as a half and late in the year I got back in the team and I, you know, just, you know, just jumped into dummy half a couple of times, you know, on the back of quick play the ball type thing during the game and, and and scored a couple of nice tries and made a couple of line breaks. And, um, you know, at the end of the year, you know, Craig and Craig and I, our relationship had gone a full circle. He, he um, asked me to be captain of the team in year two. And um, he asked me if I, you know, well, it was him and Tim that told me I was a dead set nine. And that's where they thought, mm. um, they thought um, that was my best um, chance of making it as, as an, well, as a Winfield Cup as an NRL player. So, of course, you know, I was, 
you know, I was a young, I was a young kid. That that was my dream. So I, I was happy to move to nine and mm. and uh, look, I never looked back. Well, coming through the junior grades at Young and and your rep team there, we were you a seven, not a nine, so you hadn't played hooker up until that point. No, no, I was a seven or a six all mm. through. Yeah. Juniors. I played. Uh, I played five eight for country in, in 1992, and then they picked the New South Wales team, and I got picked it as a seven. And yeah. um, you know, I played the same team. I we had played a one off the under 19 Australian merit team. We had a one off game against the Australian schoolboys. I played seven that game. Um, so yeah, it was um, you know it was, like I said, a couple of games in '93. My first year at the Raiders, I mm. you know I just found myself a dummy half, and I picked the ball up and ran and. Um, yeah. and you know, they, <laughs> At the end of the year, they said you're a dead set nine. Mm-hmm. We want to go to nine, and so it was an it was a no brainer for me. We had Steve Walters <laughs> the club, so I thought I'll just yeah. learn off him instead of Ricky and Larry. But, yeah. um, so, so I was blessed. I really was blessed. It was a, it was a, obviously a decision Craig and Tim made at the time, and and uh, you know yeah. I, I now there's no way I would have made it as a seven at NRL level, not a chance. So yeah. um, I owe those two guys plenty. Yeah. So, Simon, just quickly, you, you spoke about that year of playing first grade in Group 9. And, Kim, I, I know Group 9 pretty well. And, obviously, Group 20, we were arch rivals, mate. That would have been a very, very tough breeding ground for you as a 17-year-old. Well, it was. It was. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, there were some games there where I was quite scared. I mean, I played against, mm. you know, Batlow had Jason Hoogerworth and John um, John Fafida, a big bloke from the Dragons. Mm. I mean, um, I played Cootamundra Bulldogs one day and again. I was, I was, I'll admit now, I was pretty cocky, 16, 17-year-old kid playing first grade. <laughs> so, um, you know, there was one day there at, camp, um, at, um, at Cootamundra. We played Cootamundra Bulldogs and ran onto the field and Les Boyd was just staring at me. He was frothing at the mouth. He was going, I'm going to give it to you, you little. Yeah. Um, so I was scared and, and, you know, to try and offset that I was scared, um, I, I put a late shot on their, their fullback scored a try under the post and I went and whacked him as he was on the ground and of course Les didn't like that and he got hold <laughs> of me and he grabbed hold of me jumper and he elbowed me in the face. I, I, I was a I was a bee's ding <laughs> off crying, I can tell you that. I just didn't want to stay on the floor. <laughs> but it certainly it certainly toughened me up. Like I said, there was a lot of ex NRL players out playing in the bush mm. back then, you know, like I said, Jason Hoogerworth and big John Fafita out at Batlow. I'll never forget the day we had to go out to Batlow and five degrees and play those blokes out at Batlow. That was one of the worst days of my life. So, but um, yeah, certainly, it certainly taught me out. It certainly toughened me up pretty quick. That's for sure. Mm. They, um, the country team you made uh, that you spoke about, it, 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 were there any other players that made that team that have kicked on? No, it's funny. There wasn't, there was a guy, there was a guy, Paul Heffernan. Um, he was, he was a Wagga boy, kangaroos boy. We sort of grew up, you know, back then you didn't play against Wagga until, you know, till you reached 16. So up, up until you are 15 and young, you only played against Hardenborough at Grand Four. So it's a bit different now. But, um, yeah, but he was always the one coming up. And we, we played Group 9 together quite a few times. And, you know, we won the, the 1992. We went to the, um, the country championships. They were, they were all on the one weekend back then. It was out in... Um, yeah. Out in uh, Orange or Bathurst, it was. Anyway, we went out and we won the country championships and we got six Riverina guys in the country team. And, and yeah, he, he was the one. He, you know, it was funny. We had a um, – after one of the games, we had um, the Wagga boys, the Wagga Cootamundra Junior boys got on one bus and all the young and district boys got on another bus. Yep. This was the year before. And um, 
the um, the Wagga bus actually went over a cliff on the way home and oh, went down the cliff like I'm talking mm. down. The roof come off and not one of them, not one kid died from from the. Mm. And um, he was one of them, and he had he had a quite a crook back for a little while after that. He ended up going on and going. He went to North Sydney for a couple of years. I think he might have played a couple of NRL NRL games, maybe maybe one or two. But yeah, he he was one that was expected to kick on big time. And um, yeah. but no. The answer to your question, I was I was pretty much from the country team. I was pretty much, pretty much the only one that kicked yeah. on. Yeah, it's not. Um, I've found that you know coming through um, my local competition that a few of the guys that made the other team um, kicked on and made it, and they weren't the guys you would have picked back then. You know, they they were probably yeah. um, you know in the bottom sort of part of that squad, and, um, and the. the you know, the guys who were the better players um, didn't make it. So, yeah, a lot comes down to your own ambitions and a bit of opportunity and, and of course, you know, players develop later than others. So there's so many different variables there and different priorities in life as well. But uh, it's an interesting thing. I always like to ask that question because uh, it's quite often the same answer that, um, yeah, you know, not necessarily the guys who were making the rep teams are the one who – ones who go on to have the big careers. But but, but in your case, you, you certainly did. You, uh, as you spoke, ended up at Canberra and you, you ended up having, was it 12 years there, did you say? Yeah, I got there in 93 and I yep. left, in 2000, left in 2006. So I think it's 13, 14 years, yeah. yeah. Mm. 234 games. Um, yep, yep. And uh, yep. You, you captained the team for a number of years. Um, how many years did you, did you captain for? Well, it's funny because we at the end of '99 we lost Ricky, um, Bradley, Clyde. Um, cool. uh, they left and went to the Bulldogs, yeah, and then at, the Bulldogs, and then at the end of then at 2000 we had um, Brett Mullins, um, Laurie Daly, Dave Ferner. Um, they retired at the end of 2000. So in a couple of year period we lost five. Oh, Brett, um, we lost five or six internationals yeah. um, mm. from our squad. So. You know, at the time, you know, at the end of two thousand, when Laurie retired, he was the captain. At the time, there was, you know, there was obviously we had we had a decent core senior player group. Still, we had myself and Ruben and Luke Devico and Jason Croker. We still had quite a few seasoned, you know, black players that have been there a little while now. But um, you know, yeah, at the end of the year, you know, Mal pretty much asked myself and Ruben and um, Jason Croker, you know, what our thoughts on, on the captaincy and, you know, obviously we all gave our, our views and, you know, at one stage there, Mal was tossing up having joined captaincy, which, yep. you know, I sort of, I just sort of said, look, I'd, I'd rather be, be the captain or not, you know, I don't want to be a part of, of, of joined captaincy. I just didn't, just didn't want to do it at the time. And yeah, Mal gave me the job. So I had, I, I, I captained the club for five years and at the end of 2005, I, I got a uh, eight week suspension. I put a, I put a, um, I, back when the, uh, it was back when the spear tackles were, the yeah. good tackles all of a sudden were dangerous tackles. It was around mm. that time. And you now I put, I put a good, decent tackle on Billy Slater. And, um, you know, I had, a, it was funny, the first half of my days at the Raiders, I never fronted the judiciary, but the, the last four or five years, I couldn't stay out of there. You know, I was, I was angry, <laughs> you know? angry old man. <laughs> I was in trouble all the time. And anyway, so, so Matty Elliott was the coach at the time, and you know yep. he always oh. he always put his hand up and said, "I'll you know I'll I'll be your solicitor. We'll get it. We'll get you know we'll get out of this." And you know we went <laughs> we went there two or three times. Matty was Matty was none from three. So anyway, this one time, this one time 
Billy Slater one, you know, it was a three-week, it was a two- or three-week suspension. But um, if I fought it and lost it, no, then the loading made it yeah. four if, yeah. or four or five. <laughs> fought it and lost, it was eight. Yeah. So yeah. We had, there, was, there was exactly eight weeks left of the competition. Oh, no. So mm. Matty Elliott, his usual, you know, confident, mm-hmm. Self said, "No, no, we've got this." And anyway, we've walked, we've walked into the to the um to the uh, judiciary that night. And Jeff Hardy's on the um. Jeff Hardy was on. Oh the yeah, yeah. So an old old teammates and Matty, an yeah. old teammate. Jeffro. Mm. The Matty's sort of nudging me under the table, going, "We're sweet here." Jeffro's on. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and so anyway, we went through the whole process. Walked, went out, came back in, walked back in, and Jeff Hardy's head was pointed to the ground, and Matty oh, turned no. and he said, "We're." Matty yeah, turned really to me and said, we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got guilty. I got guilty. Yeah. We got eight weeks. And the worst thing about it was um, we were in the line, We were in line for the semifinals right up to the last game. So I had to train for eight weeks, <laughs> getting ready to play, and we lost the last oh. game and we missed out. So, <laughs> so after that, yeah, yeah, that was my fifth year as captain. So after that, I knew I knew I was coming to the back end of my career. And mm. Um, mm. so I um, – I uh, gave it up at the end of 2005, and, and uh, my last year there, I just played. And Clint Chukowski was the captain then, and yeah. we had a decent yeah. year 2006 as well. Yeah. Mm. So the the move to the Dragons then, mate. How, was that by choice, or how did that come about? Um, yeah. Look, I, I needed a change. You know, back at the time, I was, I, you know, I was pretty vocal in support of the players. You know, we went through some tough times down there, you know, losing young players that we shouldn't have. And, yeah. mm. um, you know, we, you know, especially when we, when we had so many older players retire, we, you know, you know, guys like Joel Monaghan and those sort of guys that sort of we mm. let go. And I was pretty vocal and, you know, um, you know, the relationship between myself and, and management was strange. So it was, it was time, it was time for a change for me. I look, I, I wanted to go to England, but, um, you know, you know, it's like you know, getting over the right club at the right place, right time. There just wasn't the right opportunity here. And then, you know, Laurie started doing some work, part time coaching with um, with oh, Nathan yes. at the, at yeah. the Dragons. So that. yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's how um, that's how that sort of opportunity came up. And you know, Brownie was obviously looking for a nine, and you know, they were losing. You know, Baz was going to England, so they needed. Yeah. You know, they needed to recruit a couple of older guys. So, um, you know, I went down there for 2007 and eight. I had two really good years there. It was, you know, a good bunch of blokes mm. and, um, you know, getting to live in a different environment, um, ta- you know, get a taste of a different club, different culture, different yeah. ways of doing things. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I needed it. But, uh, you know, at the back end of that second year, I'd had enough mentally. Mentally, mm. I was, you know, I was 34 years old and, you know, I'd all, always envisaged it's funny how things work out. I'd always envisaged that that'd be the year would be my last year. So yeah. I was lucky to get that far. I was lucky to, to call it quits on my terms. And, um, um, yeah, yeah. And it only seems mm. like yesterday. That was 12 years ago. Um, it, it, it's funny you, you talk about when two blokes tell you as a young man like you were, and obviously Craig Bellamy, which is amazing to think he coached at 21. A lot of people wouldn't realise that. Mm. And then, as you said, Tim Soons made a young bloke that you, well, he was young when he first started playing. You must be really proud of um, Jared Croker and what he's done for the club. Yeah, just a, just a just a great loyal club man, Croaks. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think he gets the accolades he deserves. You know, he's you know, mm. you know, I think early on in his career, defensively, there are a lot of questions asked. And I, th- I still think he's got that little bit of a stigma 
attached to him, but you know, he's you know, you look at the Raiders last year, they were the, what were they, the first or second best defensive team in the competition. So, you know, Crows can find the try line as good as any centre in the competition, and um, you know, he's he's just a he's just an you know, he's a country boy. He's from he's from Goulburn. You know, around you know, half an hour away from Canberra, he's, he's been there. He's been there from day dot. You know, I watched Croaks come through the through the SG mm. ball, and um, you know, he's just been a fantastic. He's a really, really consistent player. Rarely plays a bad game, and he's a dead eye goal kicker too. And you know, he's developed mm. into a great leader, obviously over the over the last few years. So, um, you know, I don't think Croaks gets. You know, like I said, he doesn't get the accolades he deserves. He's he's a He's a top-notch bloke, and he's a, he's a top-notch um, rugby league player as well. Yeah, but the two, oh. the um, points weren't getting leaked down his edge last year. It's the other edge, the yes. Lua edge, yeah. um, and he, he's <laughs> every chance of being the um, finishing his career as the highest point scorer in the game. I know, you know, who knows when Cameron Smith's going to finish, but Jared's got a fair bit more time left in the game than. Than Cameron, and uh, you know, he's on track to uh, overtake that as long as he keeps injury free. So, uh, yeah, mm. you know, hopefully, at, at some point, he does get that recognition he deserves, and he, he may well become the greatest point scorer of all time. And it would be pretty hard to ignore. He's a yeah, I know, and it's hard for Jared because you know, you know, they go and pick Jack White, and as you know, yeah. in the centers at rep level, and you know, it's very, it's very hard. I mean, Jack's, Jack's a great player, mm. don't get me wrong, but he's um. He certainly hasn't been done any favours on the representative representative level, Croaks. But you're right. I think he seems like he's been around forever, Croaks. But he's only 28, maybe 28 <laughs> years old, 29. So he's probably got another four years left in him, at minimum yeah. four years. And um, I think, mm. you know, as long as Cameron retires anytime soon, he um, he, he 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 should go past Cameron. Yeah. Um, but and like I said, he's he's a guy. He, he would be around 80 percent. A goal yeah. kicker, I'd reckon, for a career. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Definitely. he's missed a couple of he's missed a couple of important ones, you know, in the early on in his career. And but he, he bounced back from that. And, um, yeah. yeah, you know, he's certainly a goal kicker that can be relied on. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, we want to also coach um, cover coaching pathways. Yeah. So, yep. um, you got a few questions there? Yeah. Well, I was, I was just I was going to ask Simon just as we're just finishing off with um Joe <laughs> Croker, um, mate. Where did the coaching scenario come? Like, oh, you had a few years off, uh, obviously yep. working, working, and all that, and then uh, obviously, uh, a few, and it was probably a few years after you'd been not involved, you decided to put your hand up and start coaching locally in Canberra. Uh, that led you to Newcastle, and now obviously in the Super League. So, was there a little bit of a desire there, or did it just take a long time to come? Yeah, no, there was. I mean, when I retired, I was lucky enough to. Um, to get some work with Fox Sports, so um, mm. I gave that a, a red hot crack for three years. I was, I was, I was away most weekends doing a game or two games. I was doing some midweek shows, so um, that that took up my time for two or three years. And it was it was actually my third year, um, my third year with Fox Sports. Um, I was living in Gungahlin in Canberra, and, and the Gungahlin Bulls were looking for a coach. And um, and anyway, I, I knew the guy well. He was from Young. He was president of the club at the time, and he asked me and me and Jason Croker if we'd come and do it. You know, they had no money. It was more more just helping the club out. So, um, you know, Jason and I did that. You know, they'd come last a year before, like, by a long way. So, you know, Jason and I decided, you know, to take that on for a year and see how we went. We, you know, Toots ended up putting the boots on for a few games, which was a bonus. Um, 
But um, you know, we got into the semi final, second week of the oh. semi final. So we, we had a really good year. Um, the next year I got a lot more work with Fox Sports. So while I was supposed to be coaching them, I really didn't do a lot um, with them, and, and it didn't really work. You know, I, I, I was hardly there during the week. You know, I was hardly there for game day. So. You know, it didn't work that great, so I decided that was it. You know, I wasn't going to do that anymore. So I did one more year of Fox Fox Sports, and then I got resold from there. So <laughs> that, um, so then I thought, well, I might as well give the coaching a red hot crack. So mm. um, I did the I did the Canberra rep team. You know, the ACT rep team. That you know, we got to the final of the country championships, um, Newcastle or Illawarra, Illawarra or Newcastle. They beat us in the final. Um, and then yeah. the Queanbeyan Blues, the Queanbeyan Blues job was coming up and obviously I'd had a fair bit to do with, you know, being the Raiders, you know, the Raiders are run by the Queanbeyan Blues pretty much back in the day. Um, mm. So I, I decided to do the Blues. They were in a bit of, again, they were in a little bit of a hole. But, you know, they're a wealthy club in Canberra. They hadn't had success for a couple of years. It was sort of, you know, being let, be the lunatics running the asylum type thing. And so they asked me if I was keen. So I did that. I did that for three years. We you know, we made three grand finals. We won two in extra time. We lost one in extra time. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we won three minor premierships. And I thought, you know, I'll, I want to give this a crack. And, um, you know, in that time too, Dave Ferner, um, I was doing part-time work with Dave Ferner, just on the, on mainly the nines and the forwards with the Raiders. Then Ricky came and he wanted me to do more. So I was there more with Ricky. And, um, yeah, and then, and then by, you know, I realised, you know, I was really looking for a full-time job in the NRL and I went to um, I went to Dean Young's mum's funeral at um, down in Wollongong there in uh, yep. 2017 and uh, or 16, going to get my years right here, and um, and ran into Nathan Brown, who I hadn't seen since um, since I finished at the Dragons type thing. Um, well, because I finished at the Dragons and he got punted as well that year, so he, he was sort of went to England for, mm. for a long time, I hadn't run into Brownie and we got talking and he asked me what I was doing and he asked me if I was looking to be full time and I told him I am and he rang me up two days later and offered me a job at the Knights. Oh, so a full, full-time gig at the, at the Knights. So um, I went up there at the end of 2017 for the, well, no, 2017 was my full year, first full year there. Again, we, um, you know, I had a team that Brownie pretty much said, look, I'm not, you know, don't be too fixed on results. I don't expect you to win too many games because, you know, they were going through a terrible time. They were, you know, Brownie pretty much had, you know, they used to say up at the Knights, we've got two reserve grade teams, your coach and one, and I'm coach and one type thing. They just, <laughs> you know, they just, they just, their whole squad needed a makeover. You know, they had, you know, it, it was terrible. So anyway, I went to the Knights and, and, um, and you know, we lost our first three games in, in um, Premier League, New South Wales Cup. And, um, you know, I thought, geez, this is going to be a long year. And, and you know, we turned it around. We end up getting to the second week of the semifinals. Um, oh. the, the Warriors the Warriors end up beating us in the second week of the semifinals. So it ended up being a really good year. And, and um, you know, Brownie gave me a good rap at the end of the year. And 2018, the Huddersfield job came up. And obviously Brownie coached over here. He's got good connections in England. And um, he got me he, – he got me um, – Got me. He asked me if I was keen, so I did. So he got me to apply for it. I got an interview. I think they interviewed three people, and um, they rang me back an hour later after the interview and said you got the job. So um, mm. it was pretty. I was fast tracked, really. Like I went from wanting a full time job, New South Wales Cup type thing, assistant coach. Within eighteen months, I was 
on a plane to England. So um, it all happened really quickly. Been a um, uh, yeah, as you say, really really quick pathway for you. But uh, over here, mate, there's been a few. Uh, bumps in the road, I, I guess, as a case for any coach. And that, but what what's the main difference you find over here in the style of play to to uh, what we used to back up? Oh, uh, look, you know, I think obviously the the, the the ruck the ruck interpretations are a lot a lot different over here. So you know, the one referee, I mean, you get away with murder in the ruck, so uh, it's quite a bit quicker over here. Um, but you know. I always, you know, the advice I always got was was it was an attacking style of footy over here. They don't they don't they don't worry too much about the D side of the. I'm not too sure about that. I think I think there are definitely are some teams here that have do have a lot of emphasis on their D. I don't think it's D something you just do when you don't have the ball. I think it's there's a little bit more emphasis on defence over here than people think in Australia. But um, you know, there are, there were some bumps in the road. I was really lucky when I first got here. We had a you know pretty much a full fully full strength squad to pick from and you know we won our first 12 out of our 13 games to stay clear of the um the relegation zone so that was good but um you know I, I did feel it wasn't going to be rosy the whole time and and you know last year we last year we got a few things wrong in the pre-season we had a lot of players unavailable for selection for the first eight rounds and we were two from seven or something like that and um, like you, like I say, you, you can't win a comp in January, February, but you can certainly lose it. And we, you know, we were just hanging on for the rest of the year. I mean, we got to a point mid-year where we were starting to resemble a fully fit squad. And we, um, you know, I think we won three out of four games or three out of five. We had a big win at Magic Weekend. And, yep. you know, we had a couple of close losses where, you know, where we sort of, where we led with five minutes to go by six and got beat. And uh, they, they sort of knocked the stuffing out of us mid-year and that was just about surviving at the back end. But, um, you know, I think I think since I've got here, we've, we've changed the squad dramatically. I think there's 16 or 17 guys that were here when I got here that aren't here anymore. So it's been a bit of a work in progress. It's, this year we have high hopes. Um, we've got a really, really good squad. Um, mm. So, you know, let's hope, you know, we started the season really well. Um, let's hope we can get back soon. Yeah, yeah definitely. There's a good bunch of guys here and um, you've got a very hard-working forward pack and um, some good young forwards who, you know, aren't, aren't making the the top 17 um, each week. So there's a bit of competition for spots and that's a really healthy thing. And, uh, yeah, I think everyone would, would have to agree that, um, you know, the Giants have been the surprise packet for people outside of the the circle, I guess, that there weren't too many expecting uh, the Giants to be sitting top two or three as they are at the moment with a game in hand as well. So, yeah, mate, it's a credit to you. Though. I think, you know, everyone believes that the Giants are heading in the right direction. So, um, yeah, we can't break the scene back on the paddock, like you say. Yeah, Absolutely. like you said, like competition for spots is, is critical. And yeah. we didn't have that last year. I mean... Um, you know, we, we made some big changes, you know, from the coaching staff right through. Um, you know, there was a real attitude adjustment over the pre-season, changed some things with our pre-season. Um, and, you know, thankfully the, the, the proof's been in the pudding. We started the season really well. Um, you know, four out of five, you know, wins early up. It's, it's a great way to set up the season, isn't it? So it's, it's a shame it's been cut off the way it has, but... Um, when, when we get back, those foundations we've laid will still be there and um, we'll have an opportunity to um, yeah. to crack on with it. Yeah. 
I tell you, boys, at the moment, there's a there's a topical point over here in Australia, and you mentioned the one referee, Simon. Yeah. Um, obviously, you'd both be aware that the NRL have decided a cost-cutting method. Yeah. Cost-cutting method, please. That the NRL will be one ref this year. So um, that'll be interesting to watch, won't it? Well, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I mean, before the before the um, the Corona pandemic, I mean, if someone mentioned going back to one referee, they would have been slain. You know, it would have been. What are you talking about? <laughs> what planet are you on? I mean, it's just it's it's come from nowhere. It's come from nowhere. And I, can't, I can't believe they're looking to cut costs mm. and in the process, you know, damage the fabric of the game. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna end in tears. I've got no doubt about it. I mean. You know, the, the players will adjust, coaches will adjust, but will the referees adjust enough to get their get their jobs right? I mean, like I said, from a playing point of view and team point of view, they're all on the same they're all on the same page. So it's going to have the same effect on all of them. I mean, some clubs will come out and say it's going to advantage them and all that, but you know, I, I don't I don't buy that. I mean, I think it's going to be the same for everyone. But I I worry about how the referees going to cope. I mean, you're talking about. Mm. Having maybe still having a ruck referee. Well, that's pretty much what happens now. One referee's in the ruck and one's getting 10 metres. I mean, I read something else that they might have a ruck referee up in the stand in the referee's ear as well. I mean, no. you know, I just, I, I can't believe, you know, normally these things, not, normally these decisions are made in the off-season and, and they get, it gives teams a full pre-season to adapt and, and get used to the fact that there's going to be one referee and gives coaches... <laughs> Time to work out how they're going yeah. to exploit this, the new system yeah. too, but that's, yeah, that's I, the thing that worries me. Yeah. yeah, the fact it's been in—it's a very reactive decision, and it's been made what two and a half weeks before the competition's due to get back on the paddock. And but the the other rule change on the back of it of not not a penalty, it's just a six again call and um, play continues. Yeah, so yeah that's good. That, that's what them. changes the fabric of the <laughs> game more. That, yeah. that rule on the yeah. back of it. So, um, yeah, but that's you know how hard it is to defend a repeat set, even when you get a 30-second break while they kick the touch or, you know, set up a, yeah. for the tap. But um, now it's just completely a, a six-again call. That's going to test offensive lines. And I, I understand it's to take away the, the urge to give away a penalty and slow the game down. But as you say, it changes the fabric of the game. Um, two weeks into a competition with two weeks' notice. And yeah. that's a yeah. very reactive decision. And, uh, you know, I'm agreeing with a lot of the things that have been done by the NRL at the moment and Peter Valandis, but, yeah, I, I can't say I agree with that. Like you're saying, maybe yeah. at the end of the year, get a full pre-season where you can train and, um, and get used to it, then, yeah, maybe I'm all for it. But, yeah, it's a big call. Yeah, I think yeah. the risk the risk of it going pear shaped and being messy and and yeah. like I said, it far outweighs you know a two million dollar saving as a reward. I mean, I, I just I just think it's the wrong way to go. I, I read today that it's not in concrete, but you know you listen to Peter Volandis and guys like that. Yeah. It, it, he talks like it's going to happen. It's just yeah. a matter of being ticked off. So yeah. Yeah. hopefully, there's you know I've seen a little bit of a fair few players come out opposed to it, and a few coaches are opposing it too. So. Now it's funny. It's funny. Um, it's funny. The uh, project Apollo Wayne Bennett 
had a bit to do with it and, and Trent Robertson and they're, they're two guys that have been advocates against the wrestle for so long. So yep. um, I, wonder if, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they had Craig Bellamy and Ricky Stewart in that project. <laughs> yeah. Would, would, would right. this be being talked about? Yeah. Uh, Boys, right. just quickly, obviously we're talking about the NRL starting in 16 days. We know that. But how about yourselves, Well, Simon? Have any word on the Super League, mate? Uh, we've got a lot of listeners from... The UK and even over here in WA, we've got a lot of English who, who do love the Super League. Uh, any latest words you can fill us in with? Um, look, I know there's been some um, there's been some discussions with health officials and the government about profession, not so much Super League, but professional sport over here and how how that looks getting getting professional sport back into training. And you know, there was there was something that came out yesterday talking about June. Um, Super League being back in June, but that that won't happen. You know, I'd like to think that we might be able to go back to some small group training at some time in June and maybe ramp it up at the back end of June, early early July from a team point of view. And, you know, look, if we can get playing in July, I think that's a win. I think we'll be all yep. happy to be back playing in July, but it's, it's certainly, we certainly won't be, be back playing in June. Um, but I think I think we're only going to get you know when we do get the green light it'll be a t- two to three week preparation you know similar to what's going on in the NRL they've had a three week period to get ready yeah. to play I think you know we won't be getting any more than three weeks over here there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of government funding and um, you know wage schemes that players you know players and staff um, aren't due back at work so I think while while the players and the staff are on those sort of um, on the furlough payment I think. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what we're seeing at the moment, and that's guys away from work doing their own thing, keeping fit their own way. Um, but, but again, I'd like to think hopefully sometime in June we can get back to some small groups, maybe at the back end, and then look at playing in July. That'd be nice. Okay, that time of the show, Sully, that you love sixty seconds with Sully. I'll hand over to you now. Oh, it's my favourite part. I do love this. I think Simon will enjoy this. Here we go. Question one. Favourite holiday spot? Fiji. Favourite other sport? Uh, NFL. What can't you live without? Footy. (laughs) Greatest influence on your life? Dad. Favourite food? Steak. Your favourite non-NRL rugby league competition and a team from that comp? Well, Super League, Huddersfield Giants. Oh, there you go. Yes, I was waiting. I was going to say, come on, say. <laughs> now, if you're down to your last $50, what would you spend it on? I'd pick a horse. <laughs> <laughs> like I said the same thing. Well, on 60 seconds, I'd have a punt. Yeah, a couple of hundred. And, yeah. and anyone 100%. that knows me, I'd do exactly yeah. the same. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Our time's up there, but um, yeah, we really appreciate your time. It's been great listening to your background, both as a player and as a coach. And uh, yeah, we've had a little bit of interest from some listeners about you know, coaching pathways, not just the player pathway. So it's really good to hear that background. And uh, yeah, hopefully we're back on the paddock very soon, and you can continue what looks so far like a very promising season with the Giants, and see how far we can go. Yeah, let's hope. Can't wait to get back. Thanks for having me, lads. Have a good day. Thanks, Simon. Great to chat again, mate. Been a long time. Good on you, mate. See ya. Well done. Thanks, guys. Cheers.
Hey, Sully, yeah, great interview. Really enjoyed that with Simon there. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's had a now a very long career in, in the game, firstly as a player and now making his way as a coach. So it's great to hear his experience. Uh, no, you want to mention some common thing about both interviews there? Yeah, fascinating story. And thank you to Simon for his time. And it just um, a great story, great, great story. But I'll tell you what I did enjoy. The 60-second was Sully, both Joe and, and Simon, both the biggest influences in their life was Dad. I like yeah. that. I like that, Kimbo. Yeah, yeah, so do I. It's, uh, yeah, we didn't really elaborate on uh, why Simon said, but also Joe talked just about the sacrifices his dad um, made, you know, carting mm. him around the all, all the uh, training and playing fields as a kid. And, we've, yeah, we've all experienced that as as young fellas, whether it's your mum or your dad. So, um, yeah, it's great to hear. It's, um, yeah, part of growing up and part of uh, who we become. So, yeah, great, great to hear that from both guys. Well, we need to quickly mention our sponsors. Um, Sully's Painting, how's business over there? No, very quiet, mate. Very, very quiet in these times. And yep. Yeah, just waiting for yeah, – it's, it's, it is quiet, actually. Yep. Really, really quiet. We need I did a little bit today. Yep. I just did a little bit today around the house. That's why I'm dressed like this. I just did a little bit around the house today. So, yep. yeah. All right. But, um, we need people no, to get on the phone, on. mate. Give Sully a call. Don't be silly. Call Sully. Has brush with 0414-743-083. Have brush, we'll travel. Yes, get on there. <laughs> Our other sponsors, um, Paul Boyce at Set Play Performance Sportswear. For your sporting team needs, they should be getting on the paddock, back on the paddock very soon. So get on the Boise oh. there. He'll look after you. And Strama Rugby League Recruitment. Again, anything you want to do with Rugby League, Luke Strama is your man there. Get on to him as soon as you can. All right, we're going to wrap up uh, with another bedtime story. Sully, oh, that I'm, time. I'm nearly ready. I'm, I'm, I'm nearly ready. Come on, and I I've want it. A, I want it. I've got a bit of a common theme. Last week I talked about uh, the woman with the glass eye. This, this week I'd like to tell you about a, a young mate of mine who's, uh, who grew up with a wooden eye. His um, parents were, were quite poor, so as a really young kid, he, you know, we were having a bit of fun in the backyard and um, poked him in the eye with a wooden stick. And, you know, as they say, it's all fun until someone gets poked in the eye. Well, um, you know, his parents couldn't afford to get him a glass eye replacement, so his dad was a bit of a woodworker. He just made him up a wooden eye, painted an eyeball on there. And, uh, you know, the poor fella, he went through all of school with this wooden eye and obviously, you know, he copped a fair bit of stick about it. No girls really liked him, you know. He was a bit of a loner. Finally, we, we get to our, um, yeah, and he was very sensitive about it for obvious reasons. Didn't like people pointing out that he had a wooden eye. But uh, anyway, we, we got to our year 12 formal night, you know, our, our graduation and the year 12 dance. And, you know, we all had dates except for old mate. And so, you know, no girls really wanted to, to know him. <laughs> so he, he came to the, the dance anyway, you know, and he's sort of sitting in the corner and uh, by himself. And I, I looked over and there, there was this um, girl sitting in the corner by herself. And, Unfortunately, you know, she was quite unattractive because she, she had a nose 
that looked distinctly like a penis. And, uh, you know, she had the, had the same problem. No one really wanted to talk to her or anything. So I went over to me mate, you know, with the, with the one eye and said, hey, why don't you go over and ask her for a dance? You know, she's there all lonely, just like yourself. I said, I can't hurt, can it? And he looks at her and he's, you know, he noticed that her nose looked like a penis and he went, oh, you know, I don't know. I said, well, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Go home have a crack, you know, ask her to dance. So old mate gets up and, you know, he's pretty self-conscious about his wooden eye, you know, but he walks over, goes up to the girl with had a nose that looked like a penis and he goes, oh, oh, excuse me, but would you like to dance? And she goes, oh, wouldn't I? And he goes, don't call me, wouldn't I, dick face? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Or I wouldn't I? Oh, I thought you were going to say you might have got it poked out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tully. Well, again, you know, we leave the show on a very high note there. We'll um, we'll look forward to getting back again. All right, I'll try and see how I go with um, a guest, that special guest speaker for next week, mate. See if I can get Michael Morgan. If he's out there listening, wait for me phone call, Morgs. I'm coming to get you. Maybe. I'm coming to get you. Yeah, we'll see how we go. All right, thanks again, Sally. Yep. Enjoy your week, mate. No doubt. A lot of things will have changed again by next week. Everything's happening so fast at the moment with this coronavirus, and uh, we'll be a week closer to getting the game back on the paddock. That's the important thing. I can't wait. Yeah, mate. It's funny. I was asked the same question this morning on air over here, and it's all been relatively smooth smooth sailing at the moment, to be honest. Yeah, excellent. It's Except a couple of blokes who don't want to have a needle. But anyway, move on. Yep, yep. no worries. All right, mate. Great stuff. I'll yeah, talk mate. to you again Cheers. next week. See you, listeners. Bye-bye. Bye for now.